0: Let's talk baseball. (laughs) Now, this has got nothing to do with the Cubs. All right. I want to talk baseball history for a moment. Now, if you know your baseball history, anybody who knows baseball history, if you ask the question, who is the greatest ball player of all time, nine out of ten people will tell you Babe Ruth. Okay, phenomenal player, played most of his career for the New York Yankees, an incredible hitter, 342, a lifetime batting average, set a career high for 714 home runs, a record that wasn't broken until Hank Aaron hit number 715, almost 40 years later. So, greatest ball player of all time, and, and yet what's incredible to learn about this guy is that after he retired at baseball, relatively young, he didn't know what to do with his life. He had no idea what's next. He volunteered to do some managing, some coaching, but teams didn't want him because he had a reputation for womanizing and uh, for heavy drinking. And so he he thought he would try international travel. Maybe that would fill the bill. And he went to Paris, but he was disappointed to discover nobody knew who he was in Paris. Walked around the streets, nobody called out, hey, babe. In fact, the only time his name made the paper, it was on a list of Americans who had unclaimed mail at the American consulate. And he's thinking, unclaimed mail? Back in America, people would address a letter with, without an address, without a last name, just put babe on it, and it would arrive at his house. But in Paris, nobody knew him. So forget international travel. He came home, he, he took up golf. He played golf 365 days a year. He, he said, thank God for whomever created golf, I'd be dead without it. Now, that quote comes out of a new biography about Babe Ruth that I read this summer, and the author goes on to say, Ruth wasn't dead, no, but he was an inhabitant of that strange twilight that exists for men who have accomplished all they can early in life, and will accomplish no more, and will accomplish no more. What a sad conclusion. Babe Ruth, greatest ball player of all time, can't figure out what's next in life, so he never accomplished anything more. Died at something like 53 years of age. So welcome to week one of a four-part series that we're going to call Next. Next, pursuing God's big plan for your life. God's big plan for your life. What's next? I want you to take your Bible and turn with me uh, to the book of Nehemiah. Okay, it's going to take you a little bit of time maybe to find it. Don't feel embarrassed if you've got to use the table of contents. Uh, by the way, if you use an electronic Bible, which I use uh, often myself, I'd still encourage you to get one of these, okay? A, uh, a hard bound copy that you could bring with you and mark it up. Uh, we're going to spend four weeks in Nehemiah. Uh, Nehemiah, let me give you a little bit of, of historical background here. You've heard me say before that if you want to understand and apply the Bible to your life, okay, then you've got to know what it says to its original recipients. So we're going to be taking a look at Nehemiah, what it said to Nehemiah, then what it said to our, our own lives. We're going to be applying our applications Uh, We're going to be applying things we learn at two different levels. First of all, at a personal level, throughout the course of this series, I'm going to be challenging you to ask yourself the question, what's next for me? What's God's big plan for my life? Okay, but we're also going to be laying out the plans that we feel God has in store for Christ Community Church. This is a church-wide issue as well. Uh, Our leaders, our staff, our pastors, we have been praying and strategizing and putting together a game plan for the next couple of years, and we're going to be laying that vision out for you, and we we hope it really excites you. Now, if you're a guest, you need to know we're a a church on a mission, and, uh, you know, we don't expect you to own that mission if you're just a guest. Uh, I do hope to convince you, if you live in the vicinity of one of our four campuses, that this is a great place to make your home church. And join us, participate in the vision God's given our church. If you are a regular attender, here's my goal. My goal is to leave nobody in the grandstands watching the game. I want you all out on the playing field. I want you praying and serving and giving to this wider What's next that God has in store for Christ Community Church? In fact, if you're not in one of those community groups yet, I'd encourage you to get into one because over the next four weeks, they're going to track with this weekend series. They're going to be asking the question on a personal level, so what's next for me? And and then they're going to be laying out, talking about what God has in store for Christ Community Church. By the way, this is going to trickle down into student ministries, Uh, Randy Isola, our children's ministry director, says that he's going to post a weekly video for moms and dads to take a look at what's next for our church with regard to children's ministry. So, have you found Nehemiah? Everybody got it? Let me give you some historical background. Again, this is, uh, you know, this is not, this book is not a Ouija board that you open at random and uh, sort of look for some mysterious message in it. You know, it, it, it's a collection of 66 books and each of them written to a particular group of people in a set time and place. And so the better you know their background, the better you're, you're able to take what you learn and make application to your own life. So here's some background on Nehemiah. Uh, Nehemiah is actually an autobiography, this book. Uh, we're about to read the memoirs, the personal journal. Of a guy who who, who who speaks of himself as a cupbearer to the king of Persia. Now, this takes place about 430 BC. Now, when you hear cupbearer, you, you might think to yourself, oh, so he was a butler. Uh, but back in ancient times, a cupbearer was much more than a butler. The cupbearer was the guy who tasted the food and the drink before it was served to the king. Now, why would that need to happen? Call it out. Yeah, you got it. Poison. You know, back in ancient times, assassinations of rulers was fairly commonplace. And so Nehemiah's job was to taste the food and the drink before it reached his king, so to make sure it wasn't poison. How'd you like that job? Well, as you can imagine, the relationship between a cupbearer and a king was a very close relationship. You know, the king had to have absolute trust in his cupbearer. As a result, in ancient times, often Often, a cupbearer ended up being the king's closest confidant, a natural advisor to the king. So this is the relationship that Nehemiah has with a king, and it's not any old king. It's the king of Persia, a dude named Artaxerxes. Persia happens to be the superpower in the world at the time. Now, Nehemiah himself was not a Persian. Nehemiah was a Jew. How did he end up in Persia? Well, 150 years earlier... His homeland of Israel had been overrun by the Babylonians. They had destroyed the capital city of Jerusalem, carried many of its people off into exile. Those were Nehemiah's ancestors. 150 years later, he's now living in Susa, the capital of Persia. Persia later defeated the Babylonians. They're now the world's superpower. And so he is a cupbearer a cupbearer to the king. And my guess is, as we open the story, he's not sitting around thinking, what's God's big plan for my life? You know, what is next? However, what I do know from the story we're about to dive into is God had a behag in store for Nehemiah. Now, that's a new expression for some of you. Some of you know what a beehag is. It's not a Hebrew word that you'll find in the text of Nehemiah. A Behag is is a term, it's an acronym that was coined by a guy named Jim Collins, who writes business books. He writes books about how to succeed at business. And back in 1994, he wrote a bestseller called Built to Last. He said, if if you want to succeed at business, you got to have BHAGs. BHAGs stand for big, hairy, audacious goals. Now today we're going to talk about how to capture your own BHAG, okay? But, but I don't want you capturing big, hairy, audacious goals. I want you to have a big, heavenly, audacious goal. So we're going to change the acronym a bit. Big, heavenly, audacious goals. What does God have in store for you? You know, the Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians 2, verse 10, that once you put your trust in Christ, you come to the realization that you are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus for good deeds, which God has prepared in advance for you to do. Wow, that's a thought. God, if you're a follower of Jesus, God has a game plan for your life. God has a what's next. Now you say, well, that's cool, but how do you download this? How do you, how do you know what it is? Okay, that's what Nehemiah is going to teach us today. Three steps to capturing your BHAG. So if you haven't taken your outline out yet, take it out, write these down. If you want a, a life that's lived with purpose... Doing what God has called you to do. What's next? Number one, find a significant need to meet. Find a significant need to meet. Now we're ready to read the opening verses of Nehemiah chapter 1. Let me read it to you. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah. In the month of Kislev in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel, the capital city of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. Jerusalem, capital city of Judah, also called Israel. Okay, and these guys said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept." We're going to stop right there in the middle of verse 4. We need a little more historical background here. Okay, The Babylonians destroyed Israel, capital city Jerusalem, in 586 B.C. This is 150 years before Nehemiah. About 50 years later, the Persians defeat the Babylonians, 538 B.C. Persia's king, Cyrus the Great, he has a really interesting plan. He wants to gain favor with captive peoples. So he gives everyone who who was previously a captive the right to return to their homeland. You want to go home? You can go home. So, a group of Jews who had been captured years earlier by the Babylonians decide to return to Jerusalem. And they're under the leadership of a, a guy named Zerubbabel, don't you love that name? Zerubbabel. Nobody names their baby Zerubbabel these days. Yeah, what a loss. So this is 100 years before Nehemiah. And Zerubbabel is smart enough to know that if he wants strong morale among the troops, so to speak, that the first thing he ought to do is rebuild the temple. He ought to lay a spiritual foundation for the, for the people. And that's what they set out to do. And they rebuild the temple. And for a while, there's euphoria but, but the, the, the trouble is the rest of the city is still a pile of rubble. Have you seen pictures of, of Berlin or Tokyo after World War II, just imagine that. And, 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 and so the euphoria wears off and the people are discouraged. And the worst part of it all is that their the wall, the city wall, is in ruins. And, and back in ancient times, if your city didn't have a wall, you were in deep weeds, If your city didn't have a wall, you couldn't protect yourself, not only against invading armies, but local groups of bandits. They would come in, they would destroy your crops, they'd rape your women, they'd carry off, plunder all your possessions. So so Nehemiah is aware this is what's going on back in Jerusalem. So verse 4 says, what's his reaction? He says, I sat down and what? wept. He's brokenhearted. He becomes aware of this significant need, this desperate need of people. And immediately, he engages emotionally. Let me clarify something as we talk about BHAGs. You know, we're, we're not talking here today about setting the sorts of goals that get set for our own personal success, okay? I'm not saying go set a BHAG, like lose 30 pounds, Okay, or go, go set a BHAG for yourself. Get in the college of your choice. Take a trip to Italy. Start your own company. Good goals. But a big, heavenly, audacious goal is something we aim at in order to meet a significant need in the life of others. A significant need in the life of others. If you want to capture a BHAG for yourself, find a significant need to meet. You say, well, where where do you start? How do you do this? Well, there's a a word I want you to circle in verse 2 because it's a tip-off. Middle of verse 2, circle the word questioned. Nehemiah's brother, Hanani, who's living in Jerusalem, comes for a visit with a group of buds. And Nehemiah, who's not so self-absorbed, as uh, we are sometimes today, he immediately begins peppering them with questions about what's going on back in Jerusalem. He wants to know, you know, what's happening in his world? He's not so focused on his job as cupbearer or uh, his favorite Persian sports team or having a beer and a shawarma with his buds, you know, at the end of the day, that, that he's oblivious to the needs of his world. He asks questions. He wants to find out what are the needs what are the needs? He wanted to know what was going on around him. You know, questions uncover a significant need that could become the motivation, that could become the driving force behind your BHAG. Are, are you asking questions about your world? You know, what, what, what's the big need at the place where you work? What's the need in your community, your neighborhood? What's a significant need here at Christ Community Church in our ministries? You know, there there are significant needs all around us. You know, there are at-risk kids in our local public schools who need tutoring. There are unwed teenage moms who need mentors at the crisis pregnancy center in town. There are debt-plagued couples who need someone to come alongside and give them financial counseling. There are ex-prisoners who need job opportunities if you're running a company. I mean, the, the list is endless. Our our, our BHAG may start out small. You know, before it becomes a big, heavenly, audacious goal, it may be a small, heavenly, audacious goal, but it's got the potential of becoming big. You you know, this is what happened to a 15-year-old boy named Gabe. I found out about uh, Gabe just this past week through a letter I received from Samaritan's Purse. Samaritan's Purse is an international relief organization. They've got boots on the ground in all the trouble spots around the world. If there's a civil war brewing, if there's a natural disaster, Samaritan's Purse is there. We are one of Samaritan's Purse's largest partners, Christ Community, one of the largest partners in the country, Christ Community with Samaritan's Purse. So I got this letter uh, this past week from Samaritan's Purse and they told me about a 15-year-old boy named Gabe who lives down in Louisville, Kentucky. Well, Samaritan's Purse annually sends out this catalog. If you wanna help, if you wanna donate, here's what your gift could possibly buy. So Gabe opens the book and he sees for 14 bucks, he can buy two chickens for a poor family and those eggs will not only feed the family, they'll provide income for the family. So Gabe says, that's what I'm gonna do. Now Gabe had just taken a cake baking class at high school. So he sets out to make a bunch of cupcakes and sell them at his family's, uh, family's garage sale that's coming up. And he sells more cupcakes than he can imagine. So he figures, oh, I'm not going to settle for two chickens. What else is in this catalog? And he finds that for $70, he could buy a goat for a poor family. So he's got to sell a bunch more cupcakes, makes more cupcakes, raises $70, buys a goat. But, but now he's gotten really into this hags thing. Okay, these big, heavenly, audacious goals. So he goes back to the catalog and he picks out, and I'm not making this up, the renovation of a maternity ward in a hospital in Africa for the price of $35,000. Now that's more cupcakes than Gabe can possibly make. So he goes online and he creates a website for himself. He invites people to donate to his cause. He says, if if you'll give a gift, small or large, I'll send you a cake. And he's sending out cakes for a year. At the end of the year, he has $35,000. And next week, according to the Samaritan's Purse letter, Gabe is on his way to the Democratic Republic of the Congo, where this 15-year-old boy is going to help them dedicate a maternity ward in their hospital. That's a B-Hack, and you ought to be clapping that. Yeah, whoa! Whoa, my goodness. See, it may start out small, but when when you look for a significant need, someplace you can serve, someplace you can give, you you have no idea what it could grow into. Now, let, let me say, by the way, this is what motivated the launching of Christ Community Church 30 years ago. The reason you're sitting here today, the reason you're sitting in an auditorium in St. Charles or Bartlett or Blackberry Creek or DeKalb is because 30 years ago, this group of six families got together and they perceived a need in the town of St. Charles. They looked around and they said, this place needs a church. Now, there were plenty of churches in St. Charles at the time. But, but what they perceived is, is that most of the churches were for already convinced believers. They wanted a church that would welcome people who were, who were exploring the faith. You know, people who maybe didn't grow up going to church, or people who grew up in church but stopped going somewhere along the, the lines because it seemed irrelevant to their lives, or even people who were in existing churches that weren't teaching the Bible faithfully And so they were dying on the vine. They weren't being nurtured in a relationship with Jesus. And these six couples said, let's start a church that reaches people like that. And so Christ Community Church was birthed, and here we are 30 years later. And I got to tell you, every one of our three additional campuses got birthed out of the same BHAG. Let's do a church, you know, like, is different from other churches in the community. So th- th- this is how Bartlett got started and Blackberry Creek got started and DeKalb. In fact, I want to focus on DeKalb for just a moment here. So you Decalbites, listen up. Or you, you, you Decalbers, Decalbians, whatever you guys are who are watching right now in DeKalb and, and Sycamore, Ten years ago, there were 150 people from your community that were driving to St. Charles for Christ Community Church services every weekend because there was no church like ours in your community. But God gave this group of people a a, a BHAG. And so they they launched a Christ community in their their own neighborhood at the Farm and Fleet building where you're, you're sitting right now watching this, you folks in DeKalb. And and that campus grew, has grown from 150 people, 800 to 900 people are worshiping there every weekend now. And I want to tell you, God is not done with DeKalb when it comes to BHAGs, all right? We're doing this study of Nehemiah we called Next, but I got to tell you that the Next series that we're doing is also a Next campaign. This is, this is part of the vision that we have for the future of our church. It has to do with the DeKalb campus. We want to get you guys located on your own parcel of property, 12 acres, 12 primo acres that are already purchased. All right, we're going to move you out of that tired, old, rented farm and fleet building where you're sitting right now. And we're going to put you in a brand new building that's right next to the new DeKalb High School, a mile and a half from NIU, where there are 26,000 students who need Jesus. How's that for a BHAG? Okay. Wow. And Just let me, tell you, let me tell you a side note to this. What's so cool about this? All right, when when this building goes up and it's in the location I I just described close to NIU, NIU has a high percentage of international students. That's one of the reasons one one of our our ministries in DeKalb is, is to partner with a group called Network of Nations that reaches out to international students, tries to make them feel like, you know, this place is home while they're away from home. And along the way, share the love of Jesus with them. And this, this might be the personal BHAG that many of you have, especially those of you in DeKalb, to, to sign up to work with Network of Nations, to possibly influence some Chinese student, some Egyptian student. Tell them about Christ. Invite them into your home. Someday they'll go back to their homeland, a changed person. So BHAGs, what, what is the significant need that could be met? Second step, pray like crazy. Pray like crazy. By the way, those of you who are listening in St. Charles and, and, DeKal- and uh, Blackberry Creek and Bartlett, you're, you're thinking, well, this is really cool for DeKalb, you know, but what about us other campuses? What's next? What's, what's the next campaign for us? And I'm going to tell you next week. Okay, I'm not going to tell you today. So, you got to come back next week for what's next in our next campaign. Second step pray like crazy. Let's say that you have identified a significant need. Does that automatically mean that God wants you to be the one to meet that need? I mean, how do you determine? You see a need, how do you determine if this is your BHAG? This is a really important question to ask, especially if you're one of those big-hearted, people-oriented folks who, you know, every time you see a need, you assume it's it's a need that you're responsible to meet. I mean, you're the one who should be coaching that little league team that doesn't have a coach. You're, you're the one who should be organizing meals for the neighbor who just came home from the hospital. You're the one who should be protesting outside the abortion clinic. You're the one who should be providing pro bono legal counsel for poor people. You're the one who should be... Chairing the, the PTO meetings. It's you, it's you. These are all significant, legitimate needs. Get after it. But but if you feel that every need mandates a response from you, huh, oh my goodness, you're gonna be overwhelmed. You're, you're gonna be buried under hags Now I could tell you this from personal experience, because if, if you're a pastor, you're kind of naturally bent to want to, want to meet people's needs. And then, then on, on top of that, in every church, there, there are always plenty of people who are willing to tell the pastor what significant needs he ought to be meeting, right? And so, so if every need is a mandate, I'm, I'm supposed to be meeting all these needs. You'll go crazy. You know, you'll end up going to sleep every night with a guilty conscience, all the needs that didn't go met, get, get met. You know, years ago, a wise Christian leader coached me in this regard, and he gave me one line that has been really helpful, so I share it with those of you who are looking to discover your BHAG. Okay, he said, need doesn't constitute calling. Need doesn't constitute calling. In other words, just because something is a need doesn't mean that God's calling you to be the one to meet that need. Now, let me quickly add, I believe that there are significant needs that God wants you to meet. See, what you have to determine is which needs those are. And once again, you you ask the question, well, how do you do that? So I've found some significant needs. How do I know which one has my name on it? Well, Nehemiah, again, models what we ought to do in this regard. He prayed. He heard about the tragic situation. In Jerusalem, and he prayed. Look look, look at verse 4. He says, when I heard these things, I sat down and wept. And then for some days, I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Wow. He didn't just pray small letter P. He prayed like capital letters, P-R-A-Y-E-D. He prayed day after day after day. For some days, he prayed until he was sure, till he was sure what God wanted him to do. I mean, he even tells us here he skipped a few meals. That's what's meant by the word fasting. It's not some ascetic, monkish sort of exercise. It's, it's when you say, I'm you know, so intent on praying, I'm just gonna skip my lunch meal and I'm gonna spend that time walking around outside talking to God about this. I'm gonna, I'm gonna pray. If you want a hag that's from God, you gotta pray like crazy. Now I want to take a brief look at his prayer. I'd encourage you to read it a few times at home this week on your own. Uh, what I love about his prayer is it it presents a balanced sort of prayer with the four essential essential ingredients that should make up every prayer. Uh, I teach these four ingredients in my book, Prayer Coach. You know, we should not always be about asking. That's one of the four ingredients. But there also ought to be, if you're, if you're learning to talk to God, to pray, the acronym I teach in Prayer Coach is CHAT, C-H-A-T. C stands for confess. You know, you need to confess your sins to God on a regular basis. H stands for honor. You ought to be praising God for who he is when you come to him in prayer. A is for ask. We're all good at that we all know how to pray ask prayers, don't we? And then T stands for thanks. Give God thanks, express gratitude to him for for what he's done in your life. Now, Nehemiah includes three out of those four essential ingredients. So if your Bible is open to chapter one, pick up the prayer in verse five. He doesn't start with C, uh, confess. He starts with H, honor, praising God. Then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. So an amazing start to his prayer. If you want to discover God's BHAG for your life, don't start by praying for the significant needs you see. If you do, you'll just end up wringing your hands. If Nehemiah had begun his prayer with, oh, Lord, things are tragic in Jerusalem. People are dying. Women are being raped. The walls are in ruins. What can I do? See, if you start your prayer like that, you see a need and you start praying in desperation for that need, you'll just be a hand wringer. Pray God's character. Praise him for who he is. You'll have a great BHAG if you'll remind yourself you've got a great God. So he praises God in the opening part of his prayer, that God is great, that God is awesome. He says, God, you're a God of love, so I know you care about these people that I care about. He says, I know that you're a God who answers prayer. So you start with praise, and then he goes to see, he goes to confess. Middle of verse 6. He says, I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We've acted very wickedly toward you. We've not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. He starts to confess. Why is confessing sin so important if you want to get a BHAG from God? Well, because the Bible teaches that sin blocks our communication with God. So if you, want, if you want your prayers to reach God's ears, he's not listening if there's unconfessed sin in your life. If you want to hear from him, some of you are facing a situation right now where you're like, I need to hear from God. Okay, confess any sins that would keep you from hearing from God. So you you don't want to run off pursuing some goal only to find out it was your dream, not God's dream for you, because you couldn't listen to what God has in store for you, because your ears were clogged, unconfessed sin. And then then the third ingredient that he includes after honor and confess, he doesn't get to thank, but in verse 11, he does get to an ask. Listen to what he asks for in verse 11. He says, Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. Who's the man he's talking about? Tells us in the next line, I was cupbearer to the king. What does Nehemiah ask God for? He asked God to give him favor with Artaxerxes. Now, let me tell you, again, some historical background, why this was such an important prayer to pray. You know, we learn from other scripture that the people who had returned to Jerusalem had been trying to rebuild the walls. Okay, but as the walls began to go up, hostile neighbors saw what was happening, and they wanted to undermine the effort of the Jews, so they sent a letter to King Artaxerxes of Persia, and they said, do you know what? these Jews are doing in Jerusalem they're rebuilding the city walls so they can rebel against you it's going to be a mutiny and so Artaxerxes without checking out the details he says really well shut that down and so he shut down all rebuilding efforts now Nehemiah comes along he knows that they're not rebuilding the walls to rebel they're, they're rebuilding the walls because they've been devastated they're in, in constant danger So so he needs to bring a request to the king, but the the king's got a different perspective about the problem. How does he change the king's mind? How does a cupbearer influence a king? You better pray hard because this is something that only God can do. Okay, So if God gives you a beehive, you're going to face stuff that only God can can do. There are going to be some roadblocks along the way that only God can remove. There are going to be some peoples whose opinions and perspective needs to change, and only God can do it. And that's why you pray. That's why you pray like like crazy. That's what the leaders of Christ Community Church do as they put together BHAGs for our church. I want you to know you, you have a pastoral staff that prays like crazy. Twice a week, we get together. We got 130, 140 staff all together, and twice a week, we pray for an hour at a time about the ministries of this church. We're seeking beehags from God. What is it you want us to do next? So, you know, I say this because I don't want you thinking that when, you know, when we put together ministry objectives, BHAGs for our church, it's not like we come up with a bunch of wild and crazy ideas, write them on slips of paper, throw them in a hat, and then pull a few out. Well, let's do this. You know, we get on our knees before Almighty God and we say, okay, God, what is it you want to do through our church? What's next? I tell you that because as we roll out over these four weeks, what's next for our church, I want you to have confidence in the vision God's given us. You know, and I, 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 I want you to want to support it because you look and you say, all I know is that these leaders have been waiting on God, so let's go for it. Now, before I move on to the third step to determining a BHAG, I just want to tell you a personal Story about someone who prayed like crazy and God gave her a BHEC. Her name is Jessica. Uh, Jessica is a recent friend of mine. She attends Christ Community Church. Uh, but back when she was 14 years old, Jessica had an abortion. She and her boyfriend wanted to keep the baby. And she had even bought a onesie for the baby, she had bought a baby names book. But her mom was dead set against it, said, if you have that baby, I'm kicking you out of the house. In fact, her mom threatened to commit suicide if Jessica had the baby. So Jessica went to an abortion clinic, had an abortion, and it devastated her. In fact, her boyfriend was so deeply saddened, he could never shake that sadness, that depression, some years later, took his own life through a drug overdose. This is at age 14. At age 16, somebody told Jessica about Jesus. and She surrendered her life to Christ, and she received the forgiveness that only Jesus can give, and the healing began. And then some years later, she found her way to Christ Community Church. And one of the first things she learned is that we have a Bible study called Forgiven and Set Free for Post-Abortive Women, whether that happened to you, uh, you know, a few weeks ago or it happened a couple of decades ago. If you've never processed it, forgiven and set free. And so the, the healing process continued in Jessica's life. And, and then just last summer, a year ago summer, we had an outside speaker come in and uh, preach about abortion here. And it really stirred Jessica up. And, and she said to herself, I've got to save other women, other young women from the same tragedy that took place in my life. How do I do that? Well, she determined she would begin with prayer. And so she started going to the local abortion clinic. There's a Planned Parenthood in Aurora. I don't know if you know this, but 4,000 babies a day get aborted in, in America. 4,000 babies a day. And I don't know if you know this, but the Planned Parenthood in Aurora is the third largest clinic in the United States. And so she started going there and praying, God, what, what, what do I do? What's next? How do I keep women from making this tragic decision? And she prayed and she prayed. And over the course of some time praying about this, God gave her a BHAG. Now, here's her BHAG. I think it's really cool. She, she said to herself, well, how do you turn the tide of something like this? What if I influenced pastors? Because pastors are influential people. And a, a lot of pastors, they never talk about this issue. They, they think it's just a, a, a political football to be kicked around you know they don't understand what's at stake so she found a really great book in fact it's a brand new publication uh, 2015 a book called deliver us from abortion and she determined she was going to send a copy of this book to every pastor in St. Charles and Geneva what a great beehive so even i got my copy from jessica all right and, th- and then she finished sending those copies out and People were starting to hear about this and say, well, we'd love to support this. And so she got some extra resources and bought more books. To, the, to this date, she has sent out about 700 copies of this book to pastors all across Kane County and DuPage County. Yeah, you could clap if you want about that, too. Yeah. Yes. Where did she get this BHAG? It was birthed in prayer. She prayed like Crazy. You know, you see significant needs and you want to know, okay, which one has my name on it? Start praying about it. What is it God wants me to do? Just a side note to this, since I've mentioned prayer, we're currently in the midst of a 40 day prayer vigil. You know, a pro-life vigil that's going on not just in our community, not just around the United States. This is actually taking place around the world. There are people who love God and love life, and they're praying outside abortion clinics 24-7 up until November 1st. And I tell you about this because all you got to do if you want to participate and pray for one hour on the grass outside the abortion clinic down in Aurora, just go to 40daysforlife.com. And, and sign up for an hour spot. And I, it sounds glamorous when you get there. You know, you're going to stand on a piece of grass across from this abortion clinic and there are going to be ladies driving in and out like it's, like it's Target, okay? But they're going to be taking the life of a child, each one who goes in and comes out. And so you, you pray for them and you pray for the doctors and you pray for our politicians and, you know, whatever God gives you to pray for. Sue and I... Uh, we're there on Friday afternoon. We brought my parents along. It's sometimes good to go with a group of people so that you could be praying together. Would you consider doing this? What if hundreds of Christ Community Church people said, I'm going to spend one hour between now and November 1st. I'm going to go and pray. What would God do? Okay, here's the third step when it comes to BEHEx. If you find a significant need to meet, you pray like crazy, number three, you float a trial balloon. I don't know if you're familiar with this expression, when, when advertisers have been hired to promote a product, they'll oftentimes get together a, a focus group, and they'll, they'll run the product, the ad, past this group of potential customers. What do you think? Thumbs up, thumbs down. Okay, or a politician if if a politician is running for a higher political office, she may leak that word to the press so that the press will share it with the public and then then she 'll find out, is the public in favor of my candidacy, or do they, they think i 've got no chance in the world? Okay, so you float a trial balloon, and when it comes to BHAGs, that this is also a good idea you know before we throw ourselves completely. Into something, giving it our time and our energy and our, our, our money. It's, it's wise to bounce our great idea off of a few people for the sake of their feedback. The Old Testament book of Proverbs says that there's wisdom in many advisors. So Nehemiah has determined that he wants to do something about this significant need in Jerusalem. He has prayed like crazy about this Bih, and now it's time to float a trial balloon. And so, so the person Nehemiah gets his feedback from is none other than King Artaxerxes, his boss, the most powerful man in the world at the time. You know, look at chapter 2, verse 1. It says, In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I, I took the wine and I gave it to the king. Now, I'd not been sad in his presence before, so the king asked me, Why does your face look so sad when you're not ill, this can be nothing but sadness of heart. Nehemiah says, I was very much afraid. <laughs> you, w- you would be too if you'd been a cupbearer. You know, if the king decides, hey, no, 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 no grumpy pants in my court, off with his head. Okay, that was a possibility. So I was afraid, Nehemiah says. Verse 3 But I said to the king, May the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? And the king said to me, So what is it you want? So then I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king. Now you need to, to understand when he talks about prayer here, he's talking about a quickie prayer. He doesn't say, Hold that thought, king, run off, pray, 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 pray. Now we come. No! He's done all the praying. See, your quickie prayers only have power if you've been praying like crazy before that. Some of us live on quickie prayers. You know, they end up being pretty anemic. After a while, unless you're doing the pray like crazy part beforehand. So, so he's ready now to address the king. If it pleases the king, if your servant has found favor in his sight, let, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. And then the king with the queen sitting beside him asked me, well, how long will your journey take and when will you get back? And it pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. Now if I kept reading a few more verses in Nehemiah chapter 2, you'd find out that Nehemiah not only gave the king a schedule, okay, this is how long this is going to take, he also said, by the way, king, can I have a blank check for lumber from your forests so I could do this rebuilding project? King said, okay. He said, oh, king, by the way, could I have a military escort so I get to Jerusalem safely? Sure. Oh, oh, King! By the way, can I have letters of reference from you, the, the King of Persia, so that nobody can stop this work? You got it. See, when when he floated this trial balloon, it wasn't like I just came up with this idea last night. It was I've been thinking about this, and he's put the details together so that he can share them with the King and get his feedback. You know, that's what we've been doing at Christ Community Church as we've been putting together our BHAGs, you know. Step number one is you find a significant need to meet. Well, we got some pretty significant needs that God has placed before us. Number two, you, you pray like crazy. So we've been praying, and pr- which are the needs God wants us to meet? And then the, the third thing is you float a trial balloon. I mean, before you, you race off to save the world, you run your idea by other people so here's what I'm thinking about you know here's what I'm gonna throw myself into does this sound like a good idea to you and again let me remind you the reason you float trial balloons is that some of your BHAGs are gonna be costly they're gonna cost you a great deal of time and effort and, uh, and money you don't want to jump into them without careful consideration without wise counsel you know I described to you earlier What our BHAG is going to be for the DeKalb campus? You know, we're going to relocate them onto 12 acres of primo property, build a new building in the next two years. So, what do you think this costs? Like a few thousand bucks? This is a multi-million-dollar project. In fact, this is only this this is one of five projects that are part of our next campaign. And if you total the price tag on the five projects, it's 11 million dollars. Some of you are thinking, you're nuts. Or if this is your church, we're nuts, right? We're nuts. Well, actually, we've found some really significant needs, and we've prayed like crazy and feel like these are the things God wants us to do. And we, we've even taken the third step. We floated trial balloons. Last spring, we invited over 700 of our key volunteers to attend a dinner at each of our four campuses. And I explained to them what God was putting on our heart, hearts to do the the big projects, and we ask for feedback. I got pages of feedback from people. And, And then just recently, this fall, I have met with over 100, over 100 of our financial leaders, a selection of people, you know, who give generously to ask, okay, what do you think about what we're about to do? Give me your feedback. gotten So we've done the float, the trial balloon. In fact, what you hold in your hand when you came in, you were given the, the next booklet. This is what we're about to attempt over the next two years. Now, I want to say to you right up front, it's a little dangerous to put that booklet in your hand the first week of a series like this. So, you know, we debated... We, we said, okay, you need this booklet if you're in a community group because it's got the community group questions for your Bible study so that you could wrestle with your own personal BHAGs and, and then talk about the BHAGs of our church. But, but unfortunately, it's got so much information. It's got dollar amounts and everything, and some of you are going to read that. and You're going to jump to conclusions. You're going to go to your community group and want to debate the fine points of it, and you've only heard one out of four weeks in this series. So please... Please don't jump to any conclusions. You, you start praying about what God's going to want you to do, what your BHAG is going to be, what your part of the big BHAG is going to be. You know, but don't get stuck on the details. We're, we're pretty excited about the next campaign. In fact, as we look back at the history of Christ Community Church, every time we've done a campaign, and the, the last time we did one was 10 years ago, Okay, but every time we've done a campaign, the growth of Christ Community Church has spiked. Why? Because we've waited on God and we've said, what big plans do you have for our church? We're going for it. And not only that, what we've also learned is that the church prospers, but individual Christ followers prosper because they're they're finally willing to say, God, I'll do anything, I'll go anywhere, I'll give whatever amount you tell me to give, I'm going to serve, I'm going to pray. And when you, when you go after beehives like that, your spiritual growth takes off like a rocket. And so we're praying that this become a time in the lives of individual attenders at Christ Community Church. They'll look back at it and say, wow, this was the biggest growth spurt in my following Jesus that I've ever experienced. Now, in just a moment, we're going to collect our, our offering and uh, sing a song of worship to conclude our service. good to take an offering since we're talking about the costliness of BX, right? If you're a regular attender, I encourage you to give generously. If you're an outsider, again, I hope to entice you along the way to make this your home church because we got a great mission from God. But as, as we give, we're going to be singing a worship song, Everything. God in my everything. That's what I want. I want God to permeate every area of my life, my life, even my goals. I want my goals to be big, heavenly, audacious goals. So from the moment of the the downbeat of the song, start singing from your heart, and then the campus pastors at each campus will conclude in prayer. Let's sing.